Amina is an activist during the Arab Spring. Her blog, Gay Girl in Damascus, attracts readers from around the world. When she's mysteriously abducted, her followers mobilize, desperate to save her. What they find shocks them. I'm Samira Moyedin, the host of Gay Girl Gone, a new six-part series from CBC. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. I watched the Toronto Blue Jays of MLB's American League. You may have heard that Jays pitcher Yusei Kikuchi took himself out of a game against the New York Yankees because he got a cramp involving a muscle that is critical to the left-handed pitcher's delivery. Now, Kikuchi just grabbed the back of his shoulder right yeah. there. I'm surprised nobody has picked up on him. He's going to throw a pitch. They're trying to call timeout, and nobody heard Now, him. later... Kikuchi explained that the muscle cramp was caused by a lack of sleep. But get this. He said he only got 11 hours of sleep the night before instead of his usual 13 to 14 hours. That's per night. So this week we're asking, how much sleep do I really need? Hi, Michael. Welcome to The Dose. Hi, Brian. Thank you for having me. So uh, what did you make of this story about Kikuchi? <laughs> Yeah, Mr. Kikuchi does sleep a lot, but uh, it doesn't surprise me. Elite professional athletes uh, tend uh, to require more sleep on average compared to uh, other folks for the reason uh, they're really exerting themselves and for uh, body recovery to occur uh, adequately for them. A lot of them do sleep uh, greater than the usual average uh, need for sleep uh, of the German population. But, okay, so let's have some confessions here. When was the last time you slept 13 hours in one night? This past weekend, I, I want to <gasps> sleep. It's my business, but I'm also uh, uh, the big, the biggest proponent and uh, user of sleep. And, uh, you know, also, you know, I need to catch up on sleep uh, during the weekend uh, for my missed time in the weekdays. Well, all I can say, Michael, is good for you because I don't think I've gotten 13 hours of sleep in three nights let alone one night. But you are clearly the expert. I'm a chronic insomniac, so I want to hear what you have to say. But before we begin, can you please give us a hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it. Just ad lib. Hi, uh, my name is Michael Mack. I'm a psychiatrist and sleep medicine specialist at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. I'm an assistant professor of psychiatry at the University of Toronto, and I'm the current vice president of clinical at the Canadian Sleep Society. Okay, um, we'll get to uh, elite athletes. Uh, for those of us adults who aren't pitching for the Toronto Blue Jays, how much sleep do we need? Yeah, for the average adult, uh, the recommendation is to sleep seven to eight hours a night. And obviously that type of sleep need changes depending on your age. As an example, uh, newborns probably need anywhere between 14 to 17 hours of sleep. And, you know, uh, for those of us who are parents, you'll know this quite intimately and as a person ages from uh, being a newborn to being an infant uh, sleep time generally decreases so we're going to be focusing mainly on adults i guess ages 18 to 60 um not everyone needs the strict seven to eight hours there's a bell curve there isn't there there's a spread yeah that's right you know the average would be let's say seven to eight seven to nine hours uh, uh, for the average individual but you're going to have people to the left of the bell curve and people to the right of the bell curve. So 
some people genetically need more. Some people need uh, genetically uh, less. And, you know, we hear people uh, brag about how little sleep they need to, and still function during the daytime, one of which is uh, Winston Churchill as, as in terms of historical figures. He, of course, was a napper. And certainly I became a napper over the years. Does napping affect the seven to eight hours of sleep? Are we, or are we talking about an aggregate, including naps? And here's the thing about napping. As a general rule, it's probably best to avoid napping uh, if you're an adult for the reason the naps that you take during the daytime, that amount of time is taken away from your nighttime sleep. So if you nap regularly during the daytime, that might cause insomnia symptoms at night. So maybe a problem falling asleep or staying asleep. Um, so for, for most folks, we advocate for them to just sleep at nighttime, go to bed when you're feeling sleepy, wake up every day around the same time and avoid taking the daytime naps. But let's say by circumstance, you know, you, or your responsibilities, you have to have, you know, a lesser amount of sleep. It, how do I add to that? How do I get to the normal amount of sleep? That might uh, mean that you would take a nap. And if you have to take a nap, we advise you to take a nap that's less than 30 minutes in length. For the reason, naps that are longer than 30 minutes uh, can cause you to wake up feeling groggy. So the shorter ones are better. Okay. Um, beyond age, what affects the amount of sleep that we need? Your exertion during the daytime, whether it's mental or physical, so if a person is, you know, participating in strenuous exercise, uh, that person will probably need a, a longer period of sleep at night. We know that muscles and bone are, uh, you know, being broken down when you exercise and that repair takes place in sleep, specifically uh, deep sleep or slow wave sleep when your body releases the bulk of its growth hormone. And same thing with um, uh, cognitive or mental exertion. Um, you know, if you've been doing something that's mentally uh, strenuous, uh, you might need more sleep that night. So in general, if you look at the tables for the amount of sleep per age, we seem to need less sleep as we get older. Um, but there's also a mismatch between what we're supposed to get and what we do get. Am I right about that? Yeah, that's right. Um, maybe the latest studies looking at that topic, up to a third of uh, folks in North America actually uh, uh, don't get that seven to eight or seven to nine hours of sleep a night. And why is that? Social factors, you know, figures into this, you know, like uh, society's really changed in the last 50 years. Most of us uh, have daytime responsibilities, whether it's going to work or going to school and then afterwards uh, spending time with their family. You know, uh, it seems that as society has progressed, our allotment of time for sleep has decreased. And some of that might factor in, you know, with technology. We know that uh, the proliferation of LCD technologies, such as, you know, the ones that we see on our laptops and our uh, cell phone screens, that also affects sleep, sometimes in a negative way. As an example, if you're uh, using your uh, cell phone at night, your smartphone, or using a laptop close to your bedtime, uh, the light from your LCD screens can mimic the wavelength of the light that we get from the sun. And of course, uh, that fools your brain, tricks your brain to thinking it's daytime and then suppresses your natural melatonin secretion and thus curtailing your total sleep time. So I think a lot of those characteristics would apply to younger people who get less than the seven to eight hours 
uh, of sleep per night that they're supposed to get. As we get older, though, we start to have other medical problems like pain. You know, I have I've had bouts of sciatica, which have certainly affected my ability to to get into a comfortable position for sleep. I guess people have osteoarthritis. Um, what other factors might might interfere with your ability to sleep as you get older? Yeah, like uh, you know, by virtue of aging itself, we know that uh, older adults progressively have a lesser ability to stay asleep and fall asleep. We know that uh, deep the proportion of deep sleep that people get as they age decreases. And towards age 70 and above, we actually see a reduction in REM sleep or dream sleep. And, you know, we, we don't totally understand the reason why. We know some of this has to do with aging and the reduced capacity for recovery. And of course, like what you mentioned, Brian, which is, you know, the an increase in the incidence of medical conditions as you age. So pain being one big culprit as to why people can't fall asleep and stay asleep. And uh, other factors too, you know, one that affects men would be benign prostatic hypertrophy. You know, if you, as you age, you might have to use the bathroom more in the middle of the night. And that's another reason why a person might have to, you know, wake up or, you know, have a less total sleep time. You touched on something that I want to follow up on, and that is the quality of sleep the type of sleep that you're getting. It's not just a strict number of hours. It's also the quality of the sleep that you're getting. Can you, can you amplify on that? Yeah. Like, um, when we think about sleep and study it, uh, we break it down into different sleep stages and we determine that by reading your brain waves. So we differentiate, uh, the stages of sleep into two umbrellas, non-REM sleep and REM sleep. REM sleep is associated with, uh, rapid eye movements. It's associated with vivid dreaming. And then specific to the quality of sleep, we like to think that uh, a portion of non-REM sleep, what we call deep sleep or slow wave sleep or N3 sleep, that is the most restorative type of sleep that a person gets. It's a form of non-REM sleep. In terms of most folks, we think that they can get up to 20% of it uh, in terms of your total sleep time. That's the time when your brain waves are at their slowest. The amplitude of the brain waves are the highest. And that's the time when the body releases the bulk of its growth hormone. So when we think about uh, muscle and bone repair, that's the stage uh, which uh, that occurs. And it's also responsible for uh, memory consolidation, especially declarative memory. So, you know, memorizing what the percentages of each, each stage uh, of sleep uh, occur, uh, you know, the memorizing facts. Uh, we like to think that that's associated with that type of deep sleep. When we regularly don't get enough sleep, either quantity or quality or both, what impact does that have on us? Yeah, it's a, it's sort of like a two-pronged situation. You know, we know that curtailment of sleep, sleep disturbance itself, is associated with an increased instance of mood disorders like depression. If a person has a history of bipolar disorder, a reduction in sleep can actually flip a person into mania. We know that it has cognitive impacts people that routinely sleep fewer than six hours a night uh, do worse on cognitive testing, looking at things like reaction time and uh, memory. Mm -hmm. And then there's also physical effects. We know that curtailed sleep, again, is associated with cardiovascular illness with an increased incidence of high blood pressure, diabetes, and even the risk of stroke and heart attack. So a lot of potential problems, and we're talking about too little sleep, um, is there such a thing as having too much sleep? Uh, it transpires that uh, too much sleep is also uh, can can also be uh, unhealthy. 
um, specific to prolonged sleep. So sleeping uh, more than nine hours a night, that's also been associated with the same cardiovascular risks as too little sleep. That's interesting. Do we know why? Uh, there might be a connection between uh, too much sleep and too little physical movement and exercise. It might be associated with sedentary uh, lifestyle. That might be one reason why. We'll be right back. I'm speaking to you at a moment of grave crisis. I'm Jeff Turner, and this is Recall. It's a series about history. Not the ancient past, but history that's still hot to the touch. In this first season, I explore a revolutionary political movement that brought a modern democracy to the brink. You can find Recall, How to Start a Revolution, on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, we we started this conversation talking about uh, one of the Blue Jays pitchers, Yusei Kikuchi. Um, He's not Kevin Gosman, who's the ace of the staff, but he would still be considered an elite athlete. So what does research tell us about the amount of sleep that elite athletes need? Yeah, there's been a a burgeoning field uh, of study, which is uh, sleep and its relationship to performance in uh, athletes. And what we see, it appears, is that there's a relationship between sleep extension and better athletic performance. And uh, the studies look at both aerobic and anaerobic performance. Aerobic performance, uh, one example being, let's say, uh, a long-distance run, uh, things that require uh, significant uh, lung capacity, things like you know uh, distance swimming. And anaerobic exercise are explosive, so they might involve things like you know what uh, Kikuchi does, which is you know throwing a baseball with extreme speed. It appears that sleep extension improves uh, the performance of both types of activities. And conversely, uh, a disturbance of sleep or curtailment of sleep duration uh, leads to worsened performance. You mentioned sleep extension, which sounds like something that I would pay a lot of money to obtain if I could. Uh, Can you say more about sleep extension? Yeah, like, uh, so one study has looked into, you know, how much sleep uh, elite athletes think they need it transpires that the average amount would be around at at the very least 8.3 hours a night you know are they getting that Uh, the answer is about 70 percent of uh, athletes are not getting that 8.3 hours of sleep that they think that they should get Um, the sleep extension uh, usually occurs uh, one of two ways Athletes can extend their sleep by going to sleep uh, earlier than their uh, usual habitual uh, earliest to bedtime. And then for some others, uh, they've added in short naps during the day. So a nap of less than 30 minutes in length, once again, uh, avoiding that sleep inertia, you know, the possibility of waking up feeling groggy, uh, which is associated with longer naps. It sounds like elite athletes are gifted one way or another. They're outliers. They, you know, if they can nap and add the nap to the amount of sleep that they're, that they're supposed to be getting, then they're better off than a lot of average people like me. I think for the average person, you know, the, the focus doesn't need to be about whether, you know, uh, you need to extend your sleep or not. The best question that the average person can ask themselves is when I wake up, uh, do I feel refreshed? And if, if that amount of sleep is seven to eight hours, then that's great. And if it's less than that, but you wake up feeling refreshed, then that's fine too. So I think, you know, for the average person, just ask yourself, when I wake up, how do I feel? 
What are some of the other symptoms of uh, chronic sleep deprivation that people will identify with? Yeah, like uh, with chronic sleep deprivation, you're going to see a decreased cognitive capacity. Your ability to remember things is going to be impaired. Your reaction time will be longer. You might have uh, longer and, and greater periods of fatigue and sleepiness during the daytime. And it can affect your mood. Uh, if a person has chronic uh, sleep deprivation, they can start feeling depressed. And we know that insomnia actually is a risk factor for suicide. So let's just say I'm, I'm coming to you for some advice. What is your advice for us average folks to get better sleep? Yeah, the, the best advice is summarized as follows. I would tell the average person to wake up every day at the same time, being that uh, having a consistent wake time stabilizes your internal body clock at nighttime, which means better sleep and better mood. On the other hand, the time that you would choose to go to bed uh, can differ from night to night. It really depends on what you did during the daytime. You know, as we've discussed, uh, if you've had a strenuous day cognitively or physically, you might feel uh, sleepy uh, earlier compared to the average day. So your bedtime doesn't have to be the same from day to day, but your wake time should be always the same. I would avoid daytime naps. And uh, if if it's absolutely uh, uh, imperative, then, you know, keep your naps nice and short, less than 30 minutes of length. What else would you recommend? You know, certainly over the years, I, you know, I've, I've accumulated a lot of tips. I wear eye shades. Uh, I wear earplugs. I have uh, tried white noise. I've tried green noise. What about that sort of stuff? Oh, yeah. Like um, other tips uh, would include things like avoiding bright light, uh, especially uh, two to three hours before your bedtime. Uh, the bright light can uh, take the form of uh, fluorescent lighting uh, indoors, um, but also from your smartphones and uh, uh, your laptops. Um, I think regular exercise uh, definitely has been proven to improve sleep quality and mood also. So you should do that on a regular basis, maybe half an hour a day at the very least, but you know, do avoid uh, rigorous exercise within two hours of your bedtime, because if you exercise too close to your bedtime, that actually might prevent you from sleeping well. For the reason, when you're exercising, your heart rate and blood pressure is going up. Uh, those are the opposite factors that you need uh, to have a good sleep. And um, there's, there's other things that are out there, um, like maybe emerging avenues of improving sleep. One group has demonstrated that the use of weighted blankets uh, has been shown to uh, decrease insomnia symptoms, reduce your you know, the time it takes for you to fall asleep uh, and reduces the time that you're up in the middle of the night uh, if you sleep with weighted blankets. What's the theory behind that? Well, uh, the idea is that uh, for those of us who are parents, you know, that swaddling babies uh, can calm them. Uh, there's the idea that uh, uh, having the, the, the feeling of a weighted blanket actually increases parasympathetic activation, right? You know, that's the, the nervous system uh, side that's associated with, with being relaxed. Any other emerging uh, technologies that you want to talk about? Some folks have studied sunglasses uh, that block blue wavelength light, and as a consequence, they look like yellow sunglasses. Uh, for the reason, it's the blue wavelength light that actually triggers our brain uh, into thinking that it's daytime, which also then suppresses melatonin secretion, which is sort of the signifier as to when we should feel uh, start to feel sleepy at nighttime. So uh, for some shift workers... Uh, wearing these yellow sunglasses can uh, facilitate better nighttime sleep. 
So, so that's interesting. A lot of people are using apps these days to monitor their sleep. Uh, is that in any way helpful or relevant to, to what we're talking about right now? Yeah, like I think, you know, having feedback uh, from either apps or wearable technologies can be helpful uh, to track your sleep health. So they do a pretty good job of measuring when you fall asleep and, uh, you know, when you wake up for the final time and how many awakenings you have in the middle of the night. Uh, what they're not good at is uh, sleep staging. So when I see patients and they show me that, you know, according to my uh, activity tracker, I'm having 90% light sleep, I tell them not to worry because uh, sleep staging uh, can't be done through uh, the sleep trackers. Uh, they can only be done by reading our brain waves. So they're sort of using movement uh, and a relative absence of movement to delineate the wakefulness and sleep respectively. Having that might give you uh, an idea of uh, your, your improvements to sleep. Let's say if you're somebody that uh, used to hab habitually nap during the daytime, if you take away your daytime naps, you might see an increase of your nighttime sleep if you choose to track uh, your sleep through these uh, technologies. Last question I want to ask you is a personal one. Uh, I don't have so much trouble falling asleep, but I do have trouble staying asleep. I wake up, maybe I have to go to the bathroom, and then I can't get back to sleep. Any special recommendations for people like that? Yeah, that's a great question. So if you're if you're somebody that wakes up regularly in the middle of the night, one way uh, to reduce this is actually, you know, if you find yourself up in the middle of the night and it feels like it's been a long time, don't stay in bed. For the reason, if, if you're going to stay in bed while you're wide awake, that creates an, a, a psychological conditioning uh, associating your bedtime with wakefulness. So what I would tell you is get up out of bed, go to a different room that's dimly lit, and do something boring, like a word search. And about every 15 minutes, you're going to feel that natural wave of sleepiness, that head nodding feeling that we all get if you know we attend a meeting after 45 minutes, and that's your cue to go back to bed. And that allows you to break that association between your bed and being awake and facilitates more continuity of sleep. If you are somebody who, you know, once you wake up after a few moments, you, you, you start to have racing thoughts. Is there anything that can be done to kind of quell those racing thoughts that kind of take on a life of their own and keep oh, yeah. you awake? Oh, yeah. Like uh, we see that quite often, you know, folks that have trouble uh, falling asleep because of uh, racing thoughts, you know, uh, thinking about uh, things that worry them uh, just before bed. Maybe there's two ways to deal with this. One is to take time during the daytime, uh, set aside maybe 15, 20 minutes to write down all the things that worry you and then putting that sheet of paper away. So you're, you're sort of having um, a predetermined worry time after which you're just going to not uh, think about uh, this subject anymore. That seems to help with uh, minimizing, ruminating about worries before bedtime. The other way uh, to, to deal with this is to uh, mentally uh, visualize mundane things like the shape of, the, uh, of a tree or uh, your favorite fruit. Uh, by diverting your attention to something that's mundane and boring, uh, you end up blocking out those racing thoughts. Never heard that before. I'm going to give that a try. Dr. Michael Mack, um, you are a fountain of useful information. Thank you so much for coming on to The Dose and talking about how many hours of sleep we need. Hey, thank you so much. I'm delighted. Dr. Michael Mack is a staff psychiatrist and sleep medicine specialist at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto and an assistant professor of psychiatry at the University of Toronto. Here's your dose of smart advice. On average, adults need seven or more hours of sleep per night. 
Infants, children, and teens need a lot more than that, and there are specific guidelines for different age groups. Keep in mind that some adults need more than seven hours and some need less. Sleep experts aren't sure what's behind those variations. The quality of your sleep is as important as the quantity. Normal sleep is divided into four stages. The key is to progress through the four stages of the sleep cycle several times each night. Deep sleep, which begins 20 to 30 minutes after you first doze off, is the most restorative sleep. Deep sleep strengthens bones and muscles, helps prevent injuries, and helps keep the immune system functioning. It's also important in helping regulate glucose metabolism. There is some research evidence that elite athletes need and can get more sleep than the rest of us, which helps them maintain a high level of performance and recover more quickly. If you don't feel refreshed and alert when you wake up, you may not be getting enough hours or enough quality sleep. Other symptoms of poor sleep include reduced alertness, mental fogginess, irritability, slow reaction time, trouble forming new memories, and nodding off. Ways to get more sleep include reducing stress, establishing sleep routines and rituals, cutting back on caffeine in the afternoon and evening, using eye masks and earplugs, getting regular exercise, eliminating screen time for an hour before bed, sleeping in a cool room, practicing sleep meditation, and listening to white noise. Other tools that may help include weighted blankets and glasses that filter out blue light. Napping during the day is discouraged since it makes it harder to get enough sleep at night. If you must nap, keep it to less than 30 minutes per day. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. If you like this episode, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen. This edition of The Dose was produced by Isabel Gallant. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your health care provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.